You are listening to Your Money Story. I am Dawn Thomas, a mother of three, financial advisor by day, and a PhD candidate researching superannuation engagement. Your Money Story is about celebrating your journey, including you in the money conversation, empowering you to take control of your finances, and equalizing your position wherever you are. Let's change how the story ends. The information discussed in this podcast does not take into account your personal, financial, objectives and situation. Before acting on any information discussed here, you should consider its appropriateness having regard to your objectives, needs and financial situation. This episode, we have industry leader Natasha Jensens, who is the author of The Wonder Women's Guide to Money and founder of Women With Sense. I have been a fan of Natasha's for a while because of how she effectively communicates important finance concepts to the broader public. Her finance book is indicative of her as a person. Approachable, smart, collaborative and inclusive. Welcome to our show, Your Money Story, Natasha. I am so, so uh, thrilled to have you here. Oh, thank you so much, Don, for having me on. As I said to you before, you know, Fangirl, right back at you. And I love that we are East Coast, West Coast, you know. <laughs> so one of these days we'll be in the same room at the same time. But yeah, yes. I'm thrilled to be here and to be chatting with you. Natasha does everything, right? If you haven't heard of her um, already, what, what you'll find out is that after this, when you Google her, there's just so much of content. I think you're talking on XY Advisor about your content machine. Um, and, and there's so much of great stuff out there to actually help the community. You've got your book, The Wonder Woman's Guide to Money. And I wanted to talk about the Wonder Woman, right? And I think women generally are Wonder Women because they're having to wear so many hats. Um, what led you to write that book in particular, and also set up Women With Sense, Natasha? Yeah, so Women With Sense came to be because I was on maternity leave and found that women in my mother's group were asking in Facebook groups for financial advice. And as you and I know, financial planning is heavily male-dominated, yes. which meant that in none of these women's forums was there anyone who was qualified to sort of dispel what's fact from fiction and all that sort of stuff. So I said to them, well, how about we set up a separate group that's open to all women, not just mothers. Mm-hmm. And we can dedicate it just to talking about money. So that's how it started. We started doing like little workshops in Canberra at a local cafe. And over time, it sort of went online and, you know, became Australia wide. Um, and then the book came about because I'm really obsessed, you could say, with getting women to pay attention to financial matters and to build up their confidence and not to sort of bury their heads in the sand with mm-hmm. it. And so I've tried lots of different ways of doing it, face-to-face workshops, and we make it fun, and we have wine, and we do all those sorts of things. <laughs> I've done webinars, and then they go, oh, but I can't make the webinar. I'm like, all right, I'll leave the recording on. Okay, what about a self-paced course? You can do the self-paced course. Yeah. And then I sort of found, okay, there were still all these excuses. And I went, okay, what about a book? What if we put in a book that's, you know, short and sweet and to the point and it's you know it takes you five or six hours to read it you know it's not you know war and peace but it gives you the important foundations the stuff that you need to know mm-hmm. in order for you to be confident with money so yeah that's really how the book came about and the title again it was all built with the community you know I, we threw out a bunch of titles at them and I said you know which one resonates and, you know, the Wonder Woman really stood out. And I really agree with that because women today, they are Wonder Women. You know, the number of times that people, uh, and I've heard women say to each other, you know, you're like a Wonder Woman. When do you hmm. get 
you know and I thought well that's perfect so and that's really you know who it's aimed at and it really summarizes the challenge as well that women have because they are Wonder Woman they're expected to be you know doing 10 things all at once and eventually something gives and what's the thing that's going to give well the thing that's not immediately pressing like as you would well know like my super you know tomorrow. so yeah no, I think that's a very good point, right? So this this Wonder Woman title can be used in two ways. You know, it can be, you know, you're inspiring, just, you know, own the space you're in because wherever you are, whether you're in paid employment or not or whatever industry, own the fact that you're you're wearing a million hats and you are keeping it together. Uh, but the flip side to that is that sometimes women feel the pressure that they've got to be the best at everything and then they run themselves to the ground because they're so busy giving to everyone else and not themselves. Um, and I think that's what you've pointed out there, that they're so busy running around and what could happen um, is that they actually neglect their own position. Without sugarcoating it for our listeners, because our listeners can take this, Why? what's the danger of um, one of our Wonder Women neglecting their financial decisions? Mm. Well, look, we're seeing it at the moment, aren't we, in the media, if we just take the demographic of women in their 50s, I think that really illustrates to us how times have changed. And for women in their 50s, what they're finding is that if they have given up their power, if they've given up their financial independence, their ability to earn their own income, they have taken a step back with not really taking notice and really trusting what other people are doing with their finances, well, hey, if something happens to their partner, if the marriage breaks down, there's a whole lot of risk there. And that's the key message of the book, Wonder Woman's Guide to Money, is that we can't afford it. I often say to young women, even if it was your dream always to be a stay-at-home mom and that's all you ever wanted to do, you can't afford to do that. Yes. It just the times have changed that it's just you can't do that. So I always encourage women, even if you don't want to be working, find a way to keep your CV current. Yes. So that if you need to, you can step back in and you can do that through volunteering, you know, freelancing. There's so many different ways of doing it, but even if it's an hour a week, just keep, I want to see that continuity in your CV so that there's not a massive gap. So that it's easier for you to step back in. And by the way, that's also going to help your confidence because it's not like, well, I haven't touched a computer in 20 years. Mm-hmm. It's like, I've been doing this. Maybe I haven't been doing it as much as I would have liked, but I, I know what I'm doing and I can go for that job and I can go and step back into it. Latisha and I communicate via post sometime on LinkedIn. Um, and we were talking about spouse contributing, splitting, and, you know, about moving going on maternity leave. And, and that's what Natasha actually brought up in her post about um, keep your CV current. And you know, the weirdest thing is that I had never heard that up to that point. And sometimes even for me as a female financial advisor, I'm trying to make use of the tools that I do have to help with couples. You know, I think I'm fairly um, engaged with fighting for for both sets of the the clients that are in front of me. Um, But I kind of question to myself, how many times have I brought it up during a meeting when I know someone's going on maternity leave to to kind of ask them, what are, what's your plan around your CV? You know, and when you brought that up, I was like, oh, this has to be built into my process. Like, I can't just go, your maternity leave. <laughs> yes, you're both happy, happy with the news of having a child. Yeah. Um, so I think that is is a very key point, you know, for anyone that's listening as well, if, if you've got your, your friends around you, your family around you, you know they're on maternity leave after congratulating them on 
having the beautiful joys that are going to come there with having children is to remind them of that point. Um, Natasha, can you just actually expand on that a bit more with the CV? Because we've had a discussion in depth before. What, what can they do um, to keep that CV current more specifically? Look, I, I'm a big fan of getting involved with not-for-profits and volunteer work and that sort of thing because, again, the first objection that women will give me is, well, you know, I'm a stay-at-home mum, I'm on maternity leave. People aren't going to pay me to work an hour a week. Like, it's just not possible. So you go, okay, fine. Um, let's challenge that and go, okay, if your belief is that you can't be paid, I, I disagree with it and I have proven it. I, I went ahead and started my business while I was on maternity leave. So you're going to struggle to convince me that you can't do it if that's something that you want to do but you know getting involved with a not-for-profit doesn't matter it could be admin it could be um helping out at reception or in the cafeteria at your kid's school it doesn't matter what it is but so long as you're still out there doing something which you can later say to someone you know what i've got people skills or i've got this there's so much out of any role that mm -hmm. you do even if you're helping out, you know, as a volunteer in the Vinnie's store, there's stuff there that you're doing that you don't even realize as far as helping out with marketing and customer support and all that sort of stuff that can later be translated to other jobs. But it's so much easier to step back in as far as, you know, competition in the workforce with, you know, other people that are submitting their CVs, but also more importantly for yourself and your self-confidence, because that takes a huge hit. And we, we stay at home and we sort of isolate yourselves and then, we, you know, there's the sleep deprivation with kids and all these other things that come along. And in the end, you start to feel like, oh, well, I can't do it. Like things have moved so quickly. I don't have the confidence. I would have to go back and retrain and all that sort of stuff, which touches back on what you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier about the perfectionism that women mm -hmm. tend to have. So the way to sort of combat that is to go, well, you know, what's something that I'm passionate about that I can get involved with that, hey, I can bring my baby along and it doesn't matter. Yeah but I'm still out and about. And it's really important for our mental health as well and sense of connection and all of that. So I would start there. And then it depends, having a look at what your passion is and what your interests are. You know, these days it's so easy to become a freelancer. I have a client who I still often think of who was a single mum with a couple of kids and she worked in Canberra as a public servant and she had a dream to have her own business. But again, she was like, can't be done. And when she actually got over her fear and started doing little bits and pieces here and there with copywriting, within three months, she exceeded her year long plan for where she, like how long she thought it was going to take her to build a business. She ended up becoming fully self-employed and being able to finally enough move to Perth. <laughs> Smart lady. <laughs> so it just goes to show how much of what holds us back is just our own story and belief about what is and isn't possible. Mm -hmm. And the challenge with that is it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy if you feel like you can't do it. Because if you say to yourself, I can't do it, then you'll never try it and mm -hmm. then you will never do it. So, you know, just getting past that. So volunteering is a good one, looking at your skill set, seeing what can I do as a freelancer, even if it's an hour here or there, because guess what, when you're self-employed, you can choose to take on one client a month. You can choose to take on one client in six months. No one's really going to know, but hey, on your CV, you had your ABN. You'll have, you know, even if it's two clients that can offer a testimonial, doesn't matter. No one's really going to go and audit you and question on that. But not having that gap will make a huge difference. Yes. Your future prospect and your self-confidence. I think that's absolutely brilliant because what you're saying shouldn't be groundbreaking. 
but it is because we don't hear enough of that. I'm breaking, but yeah, it, it is because it, it's not a discussion that's had enough. It's 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 more like somebody gets pregnant, they go off bon voyage. <laughs> you you've taken on this role as being a mum, and what women don't understand is that you basically started. Uh, you're part of that demographic of starting to do unpaid caring work. Yeah, you might you might be um, getting some amount of benefit from your workplace or maybe from even the government um, in that aspect, but it starts um, affecting things like superannuation. So for me, you know, I'm a bit of a superannuation lover. <laughs> All these decisions, the small decisions you make around your employability, will start affecting how much you gather up at retirement. That leads back to your figures. What you're talking about, women. Um, who are older and single and just ending up in a really uh, sad financial position, you know, and it starts really early on because I think from the um, the retirement income review report or productivity commission report, um, they, they stated that the most damage you can do to your superannuation is when you actually, it's for women who have taken a break earlier in their working life um, and had kids. And that's for a number of women. Yeah. And what, yeah. What Natasha is saying She's giving you a solution <laughs> to, to part of it, to part of it. Um, Getting the benefit of some hindsight. And, and that's the thing that I find most often with young couples as well is they will talk about sharing the take-home pay mm. and no one talks about, and they don't factor in when they do their math. They're not, they're doing it wrong, to be honest. They're, you know, doing part of the equation and not taking a look at the whole bigger picture and saying, well, let's not just look at the cost of childcare and my take-home pay and all that. What about my super? What mm-hmm. about career progression? What about the opportunity cost? Yes. That part hasn't been factored in at all. And they just look at, well, this is how much I earn. And if I go to work by the time I pay tax and by the time I pay childcare fees, I may as well be at home with my baby. And that's usually how exactly. they- Yep. So, you know, part of the challenge is to get society as a whole to not, and, it, and couples that when they're making a decision around having children and they're looking at their cash flows, they're, they're looking at it from a combined point of view rather than just looking at it as, okay, what's the incremental earning that I as a mum am making? Yes. And then, okay, if I factor in childcare costs, well, then that's it. At the very least, split childcare costs 50-50 and yes. apply part of that to hubby now do the math and go is it worthwhile you're going to work because you're sharing that child together half the childcare costs are yours now is it worthwhile you going mm. back we don't think of it in those sorts of terms no we, yeah. we, we don't at all because it's you're, you're actually going we're trying to shake people from a traditional system uh, as much as we say like it's, it's something that people have um, grown within as well um, and Natasha like both of us are immigrants right so we've come with a money story <laughs> from another cultural background and we've come to Australia my mom has has always taught me about being financially independent she didn't quite explain why and I brought it up a number of times on my podcast because I'm just so thankful she's she's made that happen does your journey influence how you approach this matters with getting women to be empowered about their finances? Absolutely. Um, So for those who don't know, so I'm originally from what was once known as Yugoslavia. Mm -hmm. And even prior to that, so my dad worked as a diplomat for the Yugoslav government. So I was born in Uganda and I did primary school in Sri Lanka. So up until I was a teenager, you know, all I knew of what was possible in the world was war and poverty. Mm -hmm. And I really saw what happens to people if 
you leave it up to others like the government to look out for you. You know, if yeah. you've this blind trust into what the general public is doing, you know, we famously had a bank in Yugoslavia that went bankrupt and took people's life savings and turned out to be a Ponzi scheme. But there was that, you know, following the crowd. Well, there's safety and numbers and everyone else is doing this all do it. And people were, camp they were camping. The lines were so long. They were camping overnight to get into this bank to put their life savings in because they were so desperate mm -hmm. to make their money grow. Now, doesn't that sound familiar what's happening in Australia at the moment? People being so desperate to make their money grow. And hey, there's these things that are coming out and about like cryptocurrency or this yes. or the other oh put it in property I, I saw a um instagram influencer uh i say loosely um that said you know there's no safety in cash so put it in an investment you know it's safer okay, okay. we as advisors have a massive job now yes. as far as counteracting that because there's so much misinformation that's spreading on the internet like wildfire yes anyone can now become a finance expert and a money blogger and all that sort of thing and it yes. just becomes really easy so back to your point my lesson was don't blindly trust other people to look after your own well-being and that whether that's the government whether that's your parents whether that's your spouse you have to be able to stand on your own two feet so that if push comes to shove you're able to not just look after yourself but again to help others and again as women we like to nurture we like to take care of everyone else so that's a message then that resonates is that whole put your own mask oxygen mask on first yes you have no help to anyone else if you can't afford to you know be financially independent and you know look after your health and look after what you need so we got to get that message in and then then we can be of even more use and power and achieve many, many amazing things. But it starts with looking after our health today, both physical, mental and financial. And that is that is spot on. Um, and I think our listeners will appreciate that message. Uh, maybe we don't hear it enough. I think that's one of the issues is that when we leave these confines of our circles, our support circles, our inspirational uh, people like you, um, we don't hear enough of that to go take care of yourself. It's kind of the expectation. I think that there is research that so shows that um, women are expected to actually help more <laughs> just because of or how the roles are. And I think when a man does it, it's actually appreciated more because they're not expected to go out of their way. With financial advisors, so we talk about informed consent because I noticed you made that point as well on your XY advisor podcast. You're saying it's okay to trust everyone, but you need to make the decision for yourself, not because somebody has kind of told you to do that. You're, not, you're just saying that, um, I think maybe not blindly trust. So if I could rephrase that, in the advising space, we call it informed consent, meaning you have, you've actually assessed your options. You understand what your options are and also the options you didn't take. Um, you've considered those things and you've made the decision yourself being confident of that. I mean, how can they get resources to help them out? Or how, what tools are available to them to help them to make an informed consent, yeah. informed decision? Because I often think of it, it's the same as being the CEO of a company. You know, you mm. don't have to do everything yourself. Okay. You don't know enough about what's going on and the direction that the business is taking to know, is this the right thing for the company? And it's the same thing with our finances. We don't have to be experts in superannuation contribution okay. strategies, that sort of stuff. There's experts there to help us with that. But we have to understand what they're talking about. We have to be knowledgeable and interested enough to know what our preferences are with how we manage our money. And 
the reason that that's so important is first of all that's the best way to limit regrets because mm-hmm. you know, when we look back hindsight is twenty twenty, and then if we go oh why hadn't I done that well you can go well because we thought about that option we considered that option we dismissed that option because of x y and z yes okay now it's so much easier for me to live with the decisions that I've made without you know pulling on myself or why didn't I do this and why didn't I do that um, for financial planners, it's really important because we all give our heart and soul to our clients and nothing is more heartbreaking and frustrating than you when you put together a strategy for someone and they don't follow through with it. Mm-hmm. Right? And why don't people follow through with it? Because they didn't really understand what, what and why they were doing things for. So then we sort of deviate from the plan because it's like, well, maybe I'm doing it because that person thought that was the best thing for me. But I wasn't really attached to that deep down. I actually preferred this other approach. Mm. So that's the importance of informed consent. How? The easiest thing, especially if you're dealing with a financial planner, is ask lots of questions. Yeah. And as clients, we're always afraid to ask questions because we think I'll come across as silly or stupid or not knowledgeable, yeah. or I will insult the financial planner. They'll think that I'm second guessing their advice by me asking all these questions. So, you know, it often blocks us from doing it, but I encourage you, please talk to the people that are supporting you. Obviously, the internet has so many resources and there's a million books out there as well, but if you've got accountants and planners and people that you're already paying to help you, then ask them all of these questions. And if you're an expert, then encourage people to ask you as many questions yes. as they can and put time in your schedule so that there's time to have that conversation. We're not feeling like a trip to the GP where it's like, you know, you've got to be... <laughs> minutes you're gonna be out the door next one comes back in we have to have time to talk about this stuff so that you know as you say we have that informed consent and mm-hmm. yeah everyone's happier and they get value for money out of um, the advice that they're paying for too yeah a few points that i just want to address so natasha you when you mentioned about talking to a financial advisor um i'll just let to let our listeners know if they're not financial advisors um it's actually our job to be able to um answer those questions if you've left scratching your head after one of our meetings it's our fault (laughs) it's not your fault because it's our job um, as the professionals to be able to assess the best way to communicate with you to make you feel safe enough to be able to ask questions so generally that that is the point of the 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 interaction you have with someone like a financial advisor or someone who's a trusted party is that you should feel safe enough to ask the questions you need to ask. And if you don't, you're not getting there, I would seek it out somewhere else. Um, and you know, in, in terms of the resources, um, for example, there's your book. What I found about your book was that it was really collaborative. I, I don't really like being dictated to when I read a finance books and that kind of dictative arrogance comes through in a number of books. It turns me off immediately. I don't know. It's just something that's a sore point. Um, but when I read your book, I actually felt like warm and fuzzy emotions. <laughs> I felt safe enough to read it. So listeners, if you haven't read uh, Wonder Woman's Guide to Money, um, it's one of those books, right? So Natasha, was that your intention to communicate that sense of safety and collaboration with your book? Yeah, and I wanted to make it so that because everything about the work that I do and about Women With Sense is about putting you as the individual, as the client, whatever hat you want to put on yourself, in the driver's seat and in control. Mm -hmm. And especially as women, we have so many people telling us what we should be doing and do this and do that and there's a better way. And 
And I just wanted women to understand how this stuff works and know their options so that when they make a decision, they can feel confident with it rather than, you know, you and I know there's no cookie cutter approach. There's no best super fund. There's no best saving account. There's no best investment that's going to guarantee a result. It's down to our preferences. And how can we know that if we haven't taken the time to explore and understand what the Mm. options and then I'll know what my preference is so yeah that was very much the aim of the book not to give answers which I think would have put some people off because it's not a book that says here go here open this bank account go do this don't don't think twice about it this is all you have to do yes I have enough people telling us that yeah oh, here's how if, if you talk about that analogy of giving someone a fish and teaching them to fish this yes. is that you had a fish book yes um, if you want takeaway for dinner then go somewhere else that's not going to give it to you <laughs> I appreciate that an analogy <laughs> because I only described it as warm and fuzzy emotions you actually put a real analogy to it so um, no and, and I think that's the point as well I think your your approach to things right like so listeners like there's nothing Natasha actually doesn't do like she's a marketing genius she's an accountant mortgage broker financial advisor has, has a community group author like I don't know the list is too long for this podcast to be able to capture all of that um, but I've learned from Natasha's approach because she's really quite tenacious in pursuing outcomes so my experience with her is that there's always a way that we can do better she did say in the Yahoo Finance webinar that we did was never give up one thing that we talked about was spouse splitting contributions and superannuation I kind of made the comment that well isn't that going to be separated anyway if someone gets divorced you know so that's maybe not the most important thing the most important thing maybe might be earning power and things like that you rightly pointed out or or that is not that easy to actually split superannuation when you go through a financial settlement can you just expand on that yeah so (laughs) And look, lawyers will have plenty of stories for you (laughs) out of that. But if you stop and think about it, the process of dividing up super, what does that involve? First of all, you and your spouse have to agree on the amount that you're wanting to divide to each other. Now, if at the time of the divorce, you're not the hugest fans of each other, then that argument isn't going to go so well. But also you're relying on knowing how much super your spouse has and that they are the ones who hold that information. So if you don't know where their super accounts are and what's going on, it becomes fairly easy for them to hide things and keep it away. Mm. And all of that is in the end going to end up taking time. It's going to cause a lot of stress and angst and it's going to cost a lot in legal fees to go and do it. So I always say to couples because it contribution splitting is something that I learned about through sort of learning about financial planning was something that I learned was typically being used by financial planners. And again, this is the difference mm. when we talk about the gender lens of looking at things, you know, traditionally contribution splitting is used if a couple is retiring, maybe there's a 10 year age gap between mm. them. Use that as a way of putting money, you know, where you want it to be accessed quicker. But I was thinking about it and I thought, well, actually it's got the other benefit which is for young women today to say well okay if I'm going to be the stay-at-home parent and we've agreed to divide the take-home pay well can we then agree to divide the super yes it's easier for us to do it right here and now when we're on the same page we don't have to worry about it down the track Mm -hmm. rather than you know oh well I'll talk about that 
later if and when it comes about. So yeah, that that's the whole rationale behind it. And I think it's something that, you know, if you are going to be giving up your career and your income, don't just talk about the take-home pay, do something with dividing up the super as well, because you're both equally contributing. And in this case, you're contributing to your partner's career advancing at the opportunity cost of your own. And you guys need to share in that. Yeah, so for our listeners, if you're not familiar with contributing splitting, because it's quite a jargony term that we use, but it, it, if you Google it, you'll find resources on Money Smart and also ATO. Um, it's when you, your partners, let's say if they're the one that's splitting their contribution to you, you get up to 85% of uh, what they've put in either themselves voluntarily, tax effectively, or what their employer has put in. You know, so you're you're basically getting part of their contribution they've made into superannuation for that tax year, um, and that's what contributing uh, contribution splitting is. Um, in in terms of the you know, I brought up your point at um, superannuation talk. See, Natasha, your impact is flowing on in WA. I, I talk about what you're talking about. Um, some people were actually so surprised to go. I didn't know that superannuation can be hidden. Like, isn't that something just as open information? Isn't it easy to just split it? And I said, I was surprised as a financial advisor, because I must say, I haven't been in, involved in a lot of separation and splits with couples. I've not gone through it myself, um, but I have read articles that have come out now that the the ATO is trying to make it easier, right? With linking it with TFNs. Um, are you surprised that people are surprised about that? Well, no, because you and I were surprised. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that you take for granted, but, you know, this shouldn't happen. And then you find out and go, well, hang on, there's nowhere in the law. There's nothing that makes this system work the way that we imagine that it should. Mm. And that's why, you know, our, our work is so important in raising awareness because when people are more aware about it, they'll have that informed consent. They'll make different decisions now. And maybe then enough women being up in arms about this will go and change the legislation so that that can't be the case. You know, even with the ATO tracking tax file numbers and all that, that really doesn't matter to you. Privacy laws, mm. I can't call up the ATO on my husband's behalf, he, even though I'm married to him and have his tax file number. Yes. I can say everything about it. He has to be there to say, yes, it's okay. Yeah. So it's still a long way off, I think, from, from being resolved. So, yeah, I think it's something that's worthwhile us Again, not interesting to someone else to look after yes. for us in the future. This is something we can do ourselves. And hopefully, hey, you'll have a long and happy marriage. If that's the case, doesn't matter. No harm done. But Correct. Is, you've both saved, if nothing else, you've saved yourself a ton in legal fees by deciding to split it later. Yeah, and our retirement system is actually made on the assumption that, most, that a number of people are going to be passive in their actions. Like, like it's basically... That's the sad part. Like we've got this system that has been described as unique and also complex, but but actually a very good retirement system. But the assumption is that most people are not going to care enough to engage in any of the decisions around death nominations, you know, whether they're getting paid their super, um, you know, the insurance within the fund, the investments within the fund, <laughs> which fund they're in. I think that's what you are trying to change through your work is, you know, start making your own decisions. Don't let, don't leave it to us general system to look after it for you because you may not be the one that's benefiting from it at the end of it no that's right and it's a hard one and i think part of the reason that that assumption was made as well is because it's known like if we look at the research in behavioral economics 
We know that A, people don't like having to make decisions. We will avoid them as much as we can. And also we will prioritize tomorrow over, you know, what's happening in 10, 20 or 30 years time. Yes. So, you know, it, it's a tricky one. And again, that's why I'm so passionate about our role as financial planners is to sort of go, well, but we can help with that. We can take away, you don't like making decisions. That's okay. I'm an expert at making decisions. So I will help you sort that part of it out so that it's easier, but we are going against our ingrained psychology and, I spend a lot of time educating my clients to say, well, you know, part of the reason that you find managing money challenging, it's not because it's you. It's because we have not evolved as fast as money has. We have not evolved as fast as technology has. So you're still a cave woman and a caveman trying to live in the modern world when it comes to how we make financial decisions. So there's a lot of stuff that we do, you know, um, if we have a look at, for example, investing, as an example, you know, the way you make money from investing is by going against the crowd, isn't it? Mm. Buy low, you sell high, you do the opposite of what everyone else is doing. But our caveman and cavewoman psychology says there's safety in numbers. Do yes. what everyone else is doing. And a client asked me the other day, they said, okay, so if I read about something, you know, an investment going well in the newspaper, then now's a good time to do it. So if you're reading about it, yeah. in the newspaper, it's way too late. <laughs> I know. It's now, now you're going with the crowd and that that's where we turn into, I don't know if you ever played the little video games, the lemmings. Um, yes, I think, the yeah. Lemmings. yeah. The little ones that just, they yeah. find, follow the other little characters and typically they end up walking off the edge of a cliff. Yes. So you don't want to be following the crowd. There's not safety in the crowd, but from our very primal instinct to, to say, if everyone else is doing it, then that that must be a safe thing to do. And, you know, it's a big one for us to then learn to override. And I think there's an added challenge with being in a country like Australia that's had a very safe history mm. as well. So it's really, it's not in people's nature to second guess and question or to really have that very strong fighting spirit from that sort of sense because they haven't had to fight typically to have food on the table, not in the same way that other cultures in other countries mm. deal with. Absolutely, it's not to diminish um, that there's people in Australia that are really struggling to live and that we have a whole other systemic issue as far as yes. cost of living and all that sort of stuff. But it's still a much smaller and to a much smaller degree than what other parts of the world have had to deal with. And again, that's, I think, where we sort of come into it, especially at times like this to go, you know what, times are changing and you can't afford to be complacent anymore you, you just can't and you can't afford to blindly trust that someone else will do the right thing by you because we've seen in other countries yes. how that's played out including in the west that that hasn't always been the case so yeah just taking charge of our own financial destiny i think is the key no that that comes through i think with every word that you say <laughs> it's just take control i'm, I'm going to present you with a fantastic opportunity right now um, natasha i'm going to make you the prime minister of women in Australia you've been appointed as of now <laughs> what's the first change you're going to make for 51% of the population oh gosh that's a really really tough question um look I think that there's two key like if we're talking about you know as far as policy and sort of changes the way we function as a society I think that's two of the key areas that are at the moment preventing women from progressing financially is first of all 
addressing the cost of childcare and looking at how do we better support families in that space because it's a family issue. It's not a women's issue, it's a family issue. And affordability and childcare and all of that, and especially now we're talking about rising cost of living and house prices and all that, families are really feeling a great deal of pressure. So we need to look at ways to improve that. Um, improve that reality and improve those policies and maybe borrow something out of the Scandinavian policy system, mm -hmm. perhaps. Um, but the other one is actually, I want to look at the way men are treated in the workforce, because mm -hmm. the other challenge is that the pressure is placed on women. So even Centrelink policies around maternity leave, that's focused on women. And workplace policies and all that, again, it's focused on women. And there's a lot of stigma and challenge for men to work part-time. Most part-time workers by large numbers are women because again workplaces have sort of we've sort of gotten up to speed with the idea okay of women working yeah okay we'll let you do it a little bit here and there again but you know for men it's like if a man says well I want to work part-time or god forbid I want to be a stay-at-home dad yes whoa the backlash on that mm. so I think there's a lot of work to be done there because again you know the way to empower one gender is to support both of them together so yeah affordability of childcare and taking career breaks and making it easier for men to step up and help out with that unpaid workload, I think. Wonderful, Natasha. I'd, I'd vote for you. <laughs> now, I think that's that's come up quite a bit. I think the childcare issue, uh, we really need to push for that um, because it's not a women's issue, like you said. Um, and it's it's really everybody's issue. I think with, with any of these things that are happening now, particularly for women, um, it, it just irks me that we're leaving it up to women to kind of solve on their own. Um, I mean, it's also causing division within women itself in a community about what needs to be done. I mean, really, if we just say that this is like any, any other issue where we have a general, um, you know, a general input of, of support or decision that we have in this country, that's how women's issues, <laughs> it's a people issue. <laughs> I just, you know, I love my guests just give me so many pearls of wisdom that I feel so inspired by. I'll have a smile on my face the rest of the day. Natasha, with the Wonder Women that you have met and the Wonder Women that you know of and the Wonder Women that, that are listening right now, what was your parting advice to them? Could I borrow the quote from Elsa and say, let it go? <laughs> <laughs> Go. Let go of the mental load. Let other people do it. Let go of the expectation on yourself that it has to be perfect. Let go of the belief that everyone else is more important than what you are. Because the only way that we will achieve financial freedom and independence is by learning to do the opposite of what we were told, as in to prioritize ourselves. So you have to have time to look after yourself. You have to have time to learn about your finances. You're not going to be able to do that if you're exhausted looking after everybody else. So, yeah, I think that would be my biggest one is just learn to let it all go. <laughs> and then you'll have time and space for your career, for learning about how to invest and how to manage your super and for, you know, looking after your own health and well-being as well. It sounds like you've already accomplished a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. What are you challenging yourself for this year for you to conquer? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I'm starting a new project, which has been in the works for a little while now. And 
it is basically about looking at how do we bridge the gap of the need for financial advice and the lack of affordability and accessibility. It's the reason why I got into financial planning to begin with. And, you know, again, and as you know from me, I'm a believer and, you know, rather than me complain about something and wait for someone else to fix it, I'm trying to see if there's a way that we can do that because even the regulatory changes that have come about, it just seems to have... It's a little bit like taking medication. It fix one thing and then causes a range of a whole other side effects. And we're sort of seeing the same thing in financial planning as well, where there was a whole heap of regulation brought in, sort of fixed some stuff and then caused a whole heap of other issues. So yeah, basically working on rolling out advice with sense and then just, you know, doing even more work with the women with sense side of things and working with women in the community. So my biggest challenge to me is to learn to slow down a bit. <laughs> Because I just, I have way more ideas and things that I want to do than there's hours in the day. And when you're doing things that you love and you're passionate about as well, it makes it that much easier to, I don't know, not become obsessed and become a workaholic, but, you know, not be able to sort of slow down a little bit as well. So from a personal point of view, that's a bit of my challenge for 2021 myself. (laughs) Well, um, the community as a whole appreciates what you do. Um, I, as a financial advisor, as a woman, as a person, just generally in life, just really appreciate the way you communicate and the way you get concepts through. Um, and selfishly, you know, I wouldn't want you to slow down. <laughs> because, But don't burn out. I'm just saying that um, anything that you are getting out there is of value. Um, and for our listeners, if you want to connect up to Natasha, you'll find her in various ways. You've got the Women With Sense group um you've you've got the book that you can also start your financial planning journey um you're on nova as well with a podcast uh that was recently launched correct um yeah, the small change podcast yeah yes, small change i tell you marketing genius with everything you <laughs> <laughs> marketing genius so um you, you, you just find various ways and um you've got good resources out there just generally but i think part of of the point of this podcast as well is to introduce you to um, other resources, other people you can connect to um, that will really give you belief in yourself that you can make the decisions for yourself and bring yourself uh, forward and upwards towards the future. Thank you so much for joining me today, Natasha. My pleasure. Thanks so much, John, for having me. I could, have, I could spend all day chatting to you. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs>